Buckle up, everybody. Today we are talking about cancer, its causes, and its preventions with Dr. John Petulil. He has over 30 years of combined medical practice and is here to share some insights that he found before and after his own cancer diagnosis. He has been featured in medical journals such as Physiology and Behavior, Neuroscience and Biobehavioral Reviews, Journal of Women's Health, Journal of Applied Research, Nutrition, and Nutritional Neuroscience. His work has also been quoted in magazines such as Fitness, Red Book, Women's World, and Women's Day. Let's beat cancer. Dr. John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. So uh, why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself? Well, I studied medicine in India. I did a year of internship in Scotland. I came to the United States in 1970. I did two years of residency, two years of fellowship, one year of which one year was in Canada. I came back to Texas and practiced medicine for about 35 years, retired about 13 years ago, and I started writing books, and I have written four already published, and the fifth one is on the way. Very nice. Definitely very accomplished. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about cancer. Obviously, that's our uh, topic today. What is it at its most basic level? Okay, in order to, uh, cancer is uncontrolled cell multiplication. Every human being is composed of about 30 trillion cells, that is 30 trillion cells. Now, all cells don't have the capacity to divide. The cells that divide or the mother cells are called stem cells. To understand cancer, which is uncontrolled cell division. The best way to understand is to understand controlled cell division. For example, if you get a cut on your skin, how does it heal? The exposed cells send a message to the nucleus of the stem cell that resides at the base of the skin, this basement membrane, they call it, that my neighbor is missing. So from both sides of the opening, messages go to the basement membrane, to the respective stem cell, and there is a gene in charge of activating cell division. So the mother cell, the stem cell will start producing new cells from both sides of the cut, and they meet in the middle. Then the cell will start, they'll send a message to the nucleus that my neighbor is back, everything is healed. That message goes to another gene who is in charge of stopping the cell division. So that gene will issue a work order to stop the multiplication and 
the new cell formation is stopped, the wound is healed, everybody is happy. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. Okay. Now, suppose, now keep in mind, we have two copies of each gene in, our, in each cell, one from the father, one from the mother. So we have two copies of the growth inhibiting gene that issues the work order to stop the multiplication. If one gene is mutated, then that is dysfunctional, but the other gene will take over. But what will happen if both genes are mutated? That is the genes in charge of both copies of the gene in charge of stopping the multiplication. The multiplication will keep on going. This is what happens in adults with cancer. The gene in charge of stopping cell division. Both copies get mutated. You may have heard of women uh, inheriting a breast cancer gene, right? Right. What happens is they have inherited one copy that is mutated. But the other copy is working. That is why they don't develop cancer the moment they start developing breast. When the other copy is also damaged, that is when they start having breast cancer. In other words, the first mutated gene makes the uh, woman more susceptible. But some of them may never develop cancer because the second one will carry on without any damage. But if the second copy is also damaged, then they develop uncontrolled cell multiplication and cancer. Is that clear? Yes. If you want one more example, can I give you one more example? Absolutely. Every human being starts as a single cell. After the fertilization of the ovum with the sperm or by the sperm, you have a zygote. Right? Right. That fertilization happens not in the womb, but in the fallopian tube through which the ovum is traveling. And so there is one single cell zygote in the tube going down the tube to the womb to be implanted. You know, by the time it, re it is implanted, how many cells are in that uh, zygote? I don't know. 200. Wow. So the question is, what made that cell divide? What's the signal? It is not connected to the mother's body. It is traveling. So that signaling or that division came because of signaling internally generated, generated inside the cell itself. And by the time it is implanted in the womb, it has 200 cells, and these 200 cells are stem cells or mother cells capable of producing new cells. Each one will be assigned to a different organ or tissue. And that's why we have 200 different types of cell in a human body. But what happens is each stem cell creates an organ or tissue in a controlled fashion and stops when the need is met. Suppose that control is removed, that growth inhibiting genes are damaged, then even one stem cell can keep on multiplying and produce a cancer. In other words, each and every cancer starts with one 
mutated stem cell. Wow. So it really doesn't take much to, to start developing cancer. Well, on the other hand, do you know when we have the maximum number of precancerous cells in the body? I don't. When you are in the womb of the mother. Because keep in mind, one cell is multiplying like crazy to produce millions or trillions of cells. So the workers who produce this new cell, each cell is just like a, imagine it's just like a new house. All the workers are new. They have never done it before. All the cells created are new cells. So mistakes happen. So there are plenty of mistakes, but nature knows that. And we have very important, very, very strong or very effective cancer control mechanisms in the body of every person. Mm -hmm. For example, if the genes are mutated, there is a gene editing process. It cuts out the mutated part and puts in new part. Then there is a process called self-destruction or apoptosis. A damaged, if they cannot collect the gene, there's a gene, there's a gene in charge of blowing up the cell. The cell commits you know, self-destruction. Then there is a set of immune cells called natural killer cells. They can go around looking for cancer cells and destroy them. So by the time you are born, 99% of the precancerous cells are destroyed. So my point is, everybody is born with the capability to destroy cancer cells. Wow. So, I mean, obviously the fact that we don't all develop cancer very fast uh, seems almost remarkable, but why is it, uh, you know, we're, we do develop it so much later? That, that's an excellent question because what you're asking is if we have this kind of powerful mechanisms to stop cancer from developing, why do we even get cancer? And before that, you said it is amazing that we don't develop cancer. Both statements are so correct. That is what got me thinking. Why are we not getting more cancers? Even though, if we look at the type of cancers that we develop as adults, one is due to damage to the genes. The average age of an adult with cancer is 60 plus. Why? Because it takes accumulation of mutations of six decades before the genes are damaged enough that it cannot control cell multiplication. So I was giving a talk then one day or one in one institute, it's a cancer institute. The pathologist stood up and asked, if it takes six decades to accumulate mutations to produce a cancer cell, how come a child, the average age of a child is of with cancer is six? How can a child develop cancer? Right? Right. That made me start thinking, why should a child have cancer? Again, the child has all these remarkable mechanisms to prevent cancer. And the, in the womb, the immune system has been working. The child was born without a cancer and the average age is six when the child develops cancer. So let's go back and 
which one do you want to discuss the adult cancer or the children's cancer um i mean let's start with children's okay what happens is remember i talked to you about the zygote dividing on its own when it is traveling through the fallopian tube right yes so that zygote that single cell has to divide based on an internal signaling or internal environmental condition because it's not receiving any signal from the outside suppose a stem cell retains the same potential so there are 200 stem cells when it is implanted when the uh, zygote is implanted and but one stem cell retains that capability to divide based on internal signaling that is a potential cancer cell in waiting if it gets a signal to multiply then it can keep on multiplying and it can develop cancer so that is one way that the internal environment of the stem cell in a child is similar to the internal environment of the original cell that divided on its own the second possibility is each stem cell once it is assigned to an organ or a system it abides by the collective signaling from the outside for example when you cut get a wound the wound is healed and when that healing happens message is sent to the nucleus that we don't need any more and the nucleus shuts down the multiplication process suppose the stem cell is dislocated it's an orphan stem cells instead of moving in one area it gets isolated but it responds to a signal to multiply but it does not recognize the neighbors and it cannot stop because it does not know who nobody knows who to send the signal or who should send the signal for the cell to stop because the cell the stem cell is not recognized as a member of that group so i call it the orphan stem cell so these are the two mechanisms that is possible in addition to the usual gene mutation from say radiation after each radiation accident children develop especially um the blood cancer so that is that is due to mutation of the gene so that can happen that is what happens most adults when they have cancer it is due to mutated genes or accumulation of mutation so these are the three ways you can have cancer i mean definitely sounds like a, a very complex process to uh you know avoid right so at least in 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 if you want to prevent or avoid cancer you need to know the basic start from how does it start we may not be able to stop the cancer process but we what we can do is to limit the multiplication of the cell to match the capability of the immune system to destroy it. you see where i'm going yeah on the one hand you have cells multiplying uncontrollably on the other hand you have natural killer cells 
killing these cells. So there is a battle going on. So if we can, for example, suppose cancer is producing new cells at the rate of 1000 per hour, but the natural killer cells are killing the cells only 900 cells per hour. Who will win? Well, obviously the one producing a thousand an hour. Right. So cancer will win. Suppose we can rearrange or rebalance it. If the multiplication rate is only 90, 900, and the kill rate is 1000, no problem. There's no cancer, right? Right. So this is what is happening. The incidence of cancer is increasing because the cancer cells are multiplying at a rate faster than the immune system can deal with them. So if we can slow down the rate of multiplication of cancer cells, don't you think we can control the cancer? It sounds like we should be able to. Right. So that, in other words, what I'm saying is every one of us may have a cancer cell in the body. We don't all develop cancer because the rate of multiplication is within the power of the immune cells to keep it under control. You can live with the cancer all your life. You may not even know. In fact, if you take 100 most significant cancer for males in America is prostate cancer, right? Okay. If you take 100 people with prostate cancer, only a third of them will die because of prostate cancer. The other third, another third will know they have the prostate cancer, but they will live with it without any cancer related problems. And the last third may not even know they have cancer that is identified after they die because of something else. So the question is why the first third die because of cancer. You see, cancer cells do not produce any toxins. They do not attack the neighboring cells and destroy them. So what causes death in cancer? Can you think of any reason? It must cause enough uh, or take up enough space to stop things from working? No. no. That, they can, that can block a passageway, if it is in a passage, or, you know, it is in, in a very interesting question. That is why if you have a cancer in the ovary, you may not know it until it is too late because there is plenty of space for it to grow. So if it does not block anything, you may not know. But cancer causes death, not because of toxins, not because of damaging the neighboring cells, but in order to produce new cells, it needs nutrients. It needs power to construct. And when it, it absorbs nutrients and the power comes mostly from glucose, when it takes away these things from the environment, it deprives the cells in vital organs, they starve. That is why cancer causes death. It starves the normal cells. So it sounds like, I mean, you'd, you'd have two options in this situation, which is either 
drastically increase or drastically decrease your glucose? Well, if you increase the glucose, the cancer cells will multiply faster, right? Okay, so not a good, uh, not a good solution. No, well, you know, but you are thinking the right way because the can without power, the cancer cells cannot reproduce. They, they, by the way, the cancer cells looks and behave just like a normal cell in the body. That's why the immune system cannot identify it and attack it unless they be become so large. But by that time, what happens is the cancer cell can send out emissaries to different parts of the body and start colonies. So remember, I talked to you about the men with prostate cancer who die, the third? Yes. You know what happens in them? They have satellites or called metastasis. If the cancer is confined to the prostate alone, you are not going to die from it. But if it sends baby cells to all over the place and different parts of the body, they all start absorbing nutrients. And pretty soon there are 50 or 60 or 100 different satellites all taking away glucose and nutrients from the rest of the body. That is what causes death. So the question is, regardless of the type of cancer, if you deny that cancer cell the fuel source, which is glucose, then the rate of multiplication of the cancer cell can be brought down so that the immune system can keep in check. Just to illustrate my point, the incidence of cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, endometrial cancer, all are higher in people with diabetes. What does that tell you? The, uh, the insulin that you need to handle glucose is obviously dysfunctional. No, so. it is not dysfunctional. That, that is type 2 diabetes, you have got insulin and you have got elevated blood glucose level, right? Right. The glucose provides the energy for the cancer cell. But you know what insulin does? Insulin promotes the activity of the enzymes, which are the workers who produce new cells. Insulin says, keep on producing, keep, because insulin cannot make a value judgment. It doesn't know the cell being created is a cancer cell. All it knows is the cell wants to reproduce. The insulin will activate the cancer cell enzymes to produce new cancer cells. So both insulin and glucose are the reason why a person with type 2 diabetes high, higher incidence of colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, endometrial cancer, and other cancers. So if we can control, we have to control both, both the glucose as well as insulin. That makes sense. Okay. Now the question is, how do we do that, right? Right. What is the biggest source of glucose in the body? You know, you have to eat. It comes from food, right? Right. What, which food component is absorbed into the body as glucose, primarily? I would guess uh, sugar. That is the biggest misnomer. The 
you know, how much sugar do you eat? So if that is the case, if you are a diabetic, all you have to do is to stop sugar and you, your diabetes will go away, right? Right. Does that happen? No. No. So the only reason sugar is blamed is because of the name association. Blood glucose is called blood sugar. So everybody easily identifies with table sugar and say, okay, if I stop table sugar, my blood sugar will go away. No, that's not going to happen. The blood sugar is blood glucose. What is the biggest source of glucose in our diet? I would have to guess carbohydrates. Exactly. Complex carbohydrate. And what is the nature of the complex carbohydrate that we eat every day? It comes from where? I am not sure. From grains, right? Rice, wheat, corn, all the grains. When they are digested, every grain has complex carbohydrate. If you take 100 grams of whole wheat, 77 grams is complex carbohydrate. If you get 100 grams of refined rice, it is 80 grams of complex carbohydrate. When it is digested in the intestine, it is absorbed into the body as glucose. Two hours after you have a meal with the bread or rice, your blood glucose level shoots up. That stimulates your pancreas to release insulin. Now we have the ideal setup for cancer cell multiplication. 100 years ago, the percentage of daily energy that came from complex carbohydrate in the food was less than 35% on a daily basis. Now in developed countries, it is 50%. In developing countries, it is 70%. Just think about it. When is the last time you had a meal or a snack without a grain product? Uh, it's probably been a while. Right. You know, in my opinion, nature never intended grains for humans. Otherwise, we would have had beaks. Right. Otherwise, I guess uh, it's just a, a food source for our food source. Yeah. And we would have had the ability to digest the chaff. We don't. But the industrial revolution and the green revolution made grain farming easy, milling and different types of flowers. Uh, uh, every cook uses that, uses them to produce new varieties of easily uh, made foods. And every government subsidizes grain farming. So the cheapest food available, the most convenient food available, the most prepackaged foods available are all made with grains or grain flour. This is the reason why we are seeing increased amounts of obesity, type 2 diabetes, and cancer. Well, and like you said, that uh, type 2 diabetes is increasing your, your cancer as well. So uh, it seems like an, an exponential problem. Yes. It started about 60 years ago. We had the green revolution. 15 years later, the obesity problem started. 15 years later, the diabetes problem started. Now we are in the age of cancer because again, the same extension of the same problem and everybody is eating more energy and most of which is coming from grain products. So now you know the solution. Yeah, you have to reduce your uh, grain intake. If we can reduce that to one half of what you are doing now, that's all I'm asking. 
That's all you have to do. You can, you can stop, you know, think about this. Let me sidetrack a little bit, if, you, if I may. Go for it. Suppose you are a diabetic and you inject yourself with insulin. The blood glucose level goes down, right? Okay. Where does it go? I would guess it has to be used by cells. That the, the endocrinologist, the doctor will say, oh, it is metabolized. It is used by cells for what? You can do only two things with glucose, or either produce energy or store it as fat. Do you see anybody who takes an insulin injection going out and exercising more? No. No. Everybody, on the other hand, who starts insulin will start putting on weight. So what does that mean? What happened to the glucose? Yeah, it's all being stored as fat. Yes. And it is the fat that blocks your arteries. So even if you keep A1C below seven as advertised on the TV for every diabetic product, that does not mean you can escape complications of type two diabetes. Do they ever say, so if you take this medicine, you can not only keep your A1C down below seven, but also you can escape all the complications, whether it is kidney or eye or heart or legs. Do they say that? No. No, that's my point. So finding a good dietary program, it sounds, is very important to fighting cancer. Not only fighting cancer, but also reducing type 2 diabetes, or if you want to lose some weight, all you have to do is to cut down the intake of carbohydrate or grain-based foods to one half of what you are eating right now. That's all. Try it for two months. That's all I am asking. You don't need to depend on medications. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a, a good advice, even if you're not diabetic. I mean, yes. you know, help help reduce your chances of uh, cancer and diabetes. Just reduce your, your grain intake. Exactly. And you are in charge. <clears throat> you're not giving the charge to a doctor or a medicine. And does that help? I mean, it sounds like it helps universally with all cancer. Yeah, that is the biggest point. This, that's an excellent point. I'm glad you got it. So this is applicable to every type of cancer. Yes, you are so correct. Great. So um, is that also sounds very important in uh, cancer survivors, ensuring they don't develop it again? Well, now you are hitting a point that is close to home because I was diagnosed with cancer and now I am classified, reclassified as a cancer survivor. Do you know what that means? That means the available tests do not detect a cancer cell in my body. That is, they are not guaranteeing there are no cancer cells hiding in my body. So, this is what I have been doing. Just I don't want that to multiply out of control. My immune system is taking care of it right now. So I will keep on going as long as that the balance is there. That's all. Every cancer survivor should pay attention. If you don't feed the cancer cell, it may multiply, but your immune system can keep it under control and you can remain a cancer survivor for the rest of your life. You don't have to die of cancer. Wow.
Yeah, and that's that's definitely important for anyone listening that has had cancer or has cancer in their family or knows someone who has had cancer. It's a very, very important lesson to take from this. Yes, I agree. Um, and I don't know, you know, obviously uh, the show kind of assumes we don't know anything about it, but how many cancers are uh, survivable versus which ones, you know, tend to grow fastest or, or uh, metastasize fastest? Well, it all depends on the balance between the rate of growth and the rate of destruction, as we mentioned earlier. Right. And also that depends on the gene, the what kind of gene is active and what are the supporting factors. For example, insulin is a supporting factor. If you produce a lot of insulin, regardless of the type of cancer you have, and if you provide the cancer cells with plenty of glucose, they will multiply much faster than otherwise. So the availability of raw materials or components, the availability of energy in the form of glucose, the availability of promoters like hormones, they all decide how fast the cancer will multiply and how far it will travel in the body, how many metastases you will have. So there are so many variables, it is difficult to predict. So is there, I mean, is there a reason we see certain cancers more than others? Again, it is difficult depending on the exposure. For example, if you have uh, radiation exposure, then you have hematological or blood cell related cancers. Any cell that multiplies faster has a tendency to produce a cancer cell. This is why you have cancer cells in the intestine. The intestinal lining cells are replaced very fast. But if you have a chronic infection in the intestine, you have more chance of developing cancer there. If you have a chronic lung infection, you have more chance of having a cancer there. So any place in the body, if you have a chronic infection, that's a good place for a cancer to start. So that is number one, control any chronic inflammation in the body. Then the second thing is reduce the availability of glucose and insulin or insulin, whether it is injected into the body or released in the body in response to a secretogog or another medication, they work the same way. The third thing is to keep up your immune system uh, strong so that we can destroy any cancer cells in the body. So it sounds like we have a, a firm grasp, you know, as far as this conversation goes on, on our causes and such. What about, you know, when you were a, a patient that just received this diagnosis of cancer, I imagine it's terrifying. Um, how do you try and ease that in a patient? Well, you know, again, all I can say is my own experience. When I was told, yes, my thinking was, first of all, what did I do wrong? Or what, I did, what, I, what, what is it that I did not do right? You know, am I to blame? Or is it the environment where I was living? I was living at that time uh, close to chemical plants. Is that what caused it? 
But the cancer, by the time you detect a cancer in the body, it has been growing for five, 10, 15 years. So who knows where it started? So most of the time, unless you have been exposed to radiation, you don't know how it started. So that is difficult once you don't know where it started or how it started. So all you can do is, then again, you worry about what's going to happen uh, to my family. You know, what, how long will I live? What do I do with my life? All these questions are there. Then pretty after a while, you come to terms with it. Okay, if you, you have to go through the treatment and I responded to the treatment, okay, now what? Now I'm reclassified as a cancer survivor. But that does not mean there are no cancer cells in the body. It only means the doctors cannot detect one, but it can still be hiding someplace in the body. So how do I stop it from growing? Once you, most of the time, we are at the mercy of the oncologist because we don't know, we are afraid, we don't know. And the mind can work so many things, you go on all different directions. And pretty soon you are so confused, so stressed, so depressed, because you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to come down and say, okay, is there something I can do? That is where I started. That's why I wrote the book, Surviving Cancer. Because this is what I found that you have something you can do to control the rate of multiplication of the cancer cell on the one hand, then make your immune system strong on the other hand. So we talked about the first part, reducing the rate of cancer cell multiplication by reducing the amount of glucose available to the cancer cell and the amount of insulin available to the cancer cell. In order to boost the immune system, what I did was, see human body needs 100 different nutrients for healthy functioning, whether it is immune system or any other system in the body. You cannot get all of them from one food group or one meal. So what I'm doing now is I eat three different vegetables a day, three different nuts a day, three different fruits a day, the quantity is not, doesn't, it's not an important thing. It is the variety. And this is how I'm keeping my immune system strong and I feel fine. And you're getting all the, uh, all the necessary nutrients without any of the kind of the waste material. Uh, well, I wouldn't say waste material. I would say unnecessary material. Let me put it that way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, without promoting the growth of cancer cells. So whenever you have a high grain meal, your blood glucose level goes up and that stimulates the pancreas to release insulin and together insulin and glucose promotes cancer cell growth. So there is no question about that part. Everybody agrees to that. So if we can cut down the glucose intake or entry of glucose into the body, by the way, it cannot go into your blood unless it goes through your mouth. So that is where you have control over. Control your hands and use and decide what you want to put in your mouth. So does that make certain diets just that we have today uh, more desirable? 
there is no classification because if you look at people everywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, there are people who live 80, 90, 100 years using the locally available foods. One thing you may have, you may wonder is, uh, let, let me ask you this question. Let me put it in this way. Is there any food that nature provides that human, adult humans can get nutrients from without chewing? I don't think so. Right. Why? Because chewing releases nutrients in a controlled fashion. So the body can, your brain can tell you how much you need. All you have to is look at the look at toddlers, four to six years of age. You will notice three things. One, they eat only when they are hungry. Second, they eat what they like. Third, when they are done, they could care less what is left on the plate. What do adults do? We, we eat. Keep eating, yeah. Right. Not because we are hungry, but because it is somebody's birthday. Somebody, it's a celebration. Oh, somebody cooked something. Or we have to please our host. Or there's no time to eat on the way, so I may eat as much as I can. Or it is all-you-can-eat buffet. You have to make your, get your money's worth. So that is what is happening, how we eat. And then on top of that, people start blending and pureeing food. So you cannot, you don't even have to chew. So you can eat more. So how do you control the quantity when you do that? I guess try and uh, know what you need to get, get through. If, if, a, if a toddler can do it, decide one, when to eat. What to eat, how much to eat, and they grow up normally, why can't we? Yeah, that's a good question. Seems like something we should uh, just be able to figure out for ourselves. Our brain has the capability. All we have to do is listen to the brain. But in order to listen to the brain, you cannot be listening to something else. If you're watching TV and eating, for example, it won't work. Right. Because the visual signals take precedence over signals coming from the mouth. When you, if you are thirsty right now, can you predetermine how much water will it take to quench your thirst? Uh, not right now. No. How long will it take? Uh, how many sips will it take to quench your thirst right now? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to guess. But... Well, just, uh, yeah, make a guess. 20 ounces. Uh, will you drink 20 ounces each time you'd have it? You're thirsty? I mean, I wouldn't, but I would just, that's. I'm uh, just telling you right now, you are sitting there. I bring you water. How much will it take to quench your thirst right now? Uh, I'd probably take one or two. Right. By the time you finish drinking that, your thirst is quenched. That water is still in your stomach, it has not been absorbed into the body yet. Right? Right. If you have been doing a workout or been outside, you will drink more. Again, the same thing. Within a minute or two, your thirst is quenched, you stop drinking, but the water is still in your stomach. How did the brain know you had enough? You don't fill up your stomach with water. Yeah, you don't just keep drinking until uh, it gets absorbed. You know, the drinking stops before it is absorbed. The absorption takes place in the intestine, not from the stomach. Right. So way before it is absorbed, you stop drinking. 
That's the point. There is a similar mechanism for solid foods also. So if you chew the food, it is released in a controlled way where the receptors in the mouth and nose can note how much is going down, not only identify, but meter it, and then send that information to the brain and the brain will say, okay, you, you have consumed enough. That is what toddlers do to control their eating, the quantity of food. Kind of gives a whole new importance to when your mother says, chew your food. Exactly, exactly. They did not know the science behind it, but there is a reason for it. So, yeah, I mean, this has all been incredibly interesting. Is there any kind of advice that you frequently give to people who've just found out, you know, uh, they have cancer or, um, you know, someone they know does? Is there anything you tell them other than, you know, change up your diet? Is there any advice? You yes, know, to try the and the get main them? thing is, it is okay to feel sad, to feel confused, to feel anxious and be afraid when the diagnosis happens. You have to go through that grieving process for yourself. Then you have to decide, okay, am I going to be depending on the doctors for the rest of my life? Or is there something I can do to help the doctor reduce the amount of medication that he or she needs to use? So that is where you come in. What can I do? Yes, I need. I can do these two things. One is to slow down the rate of multiplication of the cancer cell. And what do I need to do? I just told you that. The second is, how can I strengthen my immune system? And then I told you that. The third is, to even if you have a, the strongest immune system, it needs to go to the place where the cancer cells are multiplying. So we need the blood and the circulation moving. So for that, you need to be active and exercise as much as you can. Last part is you need to have, you need to have your mind occupied with other things. Otherwise, you'll always come back to the cancer. You know, you, you, you become identified with cancer. Well, nobody can think about you without it. So you need to think about, okay, there is cancer in my body, but I'm not cancer. There is more of me than just the cancer. How do I keep myself occupied? So your brain has to be active, whether it is through social activity, reading, writing, gardening, you know, whatever you can do to keep your mind occupied. That is also very important. It sounds like that could kind of be uh, universally applicable to children as well. So if a parent just found out their child has cancer, you know, making sure they, they have good exercise, they're eating right, they're staying focused on other things, uh, it sounds equally important. In, in, when it comes to children's cancer, there is one more thing. All you said is correct, but I will add one more thing. The parent can never show fear when they are in front of the child diagnosed with cancer. Because the child will feel, or they can sense from the parent's face, there's something wrong. 
and they will feel that they are responsible for whatever is wrong in the family or with them. So the, the parents have to be loving. It's a very difficult situation for any parent to be in. It is, they, they have to suppress their own feelings. They cannot show it, yet they have to provide a loving, comfortable home environment for a child who has been diagnosed with cancer. How to explain to the child what's why the child has to go to the doctor's office so often, to the laboratory for the tests, it is an extremely difficult situation. But as a parent, you have no choice. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. And it's kind of the, the old adage that like, uh, if your kid falls down, you know, you don't freak out, you just try and smile and say like, okay, we're all right. Because, you know, if you freak out, they'll freak out. Exactly. Exactly. It is not, it is easy for us to say, but when you are in the situation, it is difficult, but that's the only, that's the best option you have. You, you have to bring yourself to do that. And as a parent, yes, you have the capability to just that you did not realize it was there. Now you try it, you're forced to try it. Yeah. Well, this has been great. And I know I've, I've kept you around here for about an hour. Uh, can you tell people where to find you or more of your work if they're looking for uh, further information? First of all, I don't sell anything on my website. It is called drjohnonhealth.com. I don't sell any gadgets or supplements or anything. All I have is information. And the cancer, there are there is an animation video regarding how the cancer develops and what he can do. So it's about 12 to 15 minute animation video. There's another animation video on type two diabetes. So these are things that people can watch and understand what I'm saying. If they understand what I'm saying, I'm happy. They don't have to agree with it. That's entirely theirs. And if they agree with it, what they do about it is entirely theirs. All I'm interested in is giving the information. Dr. John on health.com. That's great. My books are available on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for being here and for talking to us about this. Thank you, Mr. Petrie. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please reach out, tell family, coworkers, friends, anything uh, to listen to it. I would greatly appreciate any support you could give us. If you've really enjoyed it, you could go on to Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Just leave a good review. Um, maybe if it's really funny, I'll read it on the show. I enjoy good humor. Um, or if you have a good dumb example, I'll, maybe I'll read that too. Uh, otherwise, if you want to reach out to us, I'm on social media, Dumb Enough Podcast pretty much everywhere. Or you could reach out at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for guests or questions for guests or just want to chat, reach out to me there. I'll get a hold of you. All right. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.